all from the first part of our Bibles, uh, what we know as the Old Testament, the part that looks forward to the Christ who would come. And we're reading this morning in Jeremiah chapter 14. Jeremiah chapter 14, and reading into chapter 15 uh, and verse 9. Page 772 in the Bible provided by the church. Jeremiah 14, verse 1, page 772. This is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Judah mourns, her cities languish, they wail for the land. And a cry goes up from Jerusalem. The nobles send their servants for water. They go to the cisterns, but find no water. They return with their jars unfilled, dismayed and despairing. They cover their heads. The ground is cracked because there is no rain in the land. The farmers are dismayed and cover their heads. Even the doe in the field deserts her newborn fawn because there is no grass. While donkeys stand on the barren heights and pant like jackals, their eyesight fails for lack of pasture. Although our sins testify against us, O Lord, do something for the sake of your name, for our backsliding is great. We have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Saviour in times of distress. Why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveller who stays only a night? Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior powerless to save? You are among us, O Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. But I said, Ah, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them, You will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. Therefore, this is what the Lord says and about the prophets who are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, yet they are saying, No sword or famine will touch this land. Those same prophets will perish by sword and famine. 
And the people they are prophesying to will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. There will be no one to bury them or their wives, their sons or their daughters. I will pour out on them the calamity they deserve. Speak the word to them. Let my eyes overflow with tears, night and day without ceasing. For my virgin daughter, my people, has suffered a grievous wound, a crushing blow. If I go into the country, I see those slain by the sword. If I go into the city, I see the ravages of famine. Both prophet and priest have gone to a land they know not. Have you rejected Judah completely? Do you despise Zion? Why have you afflicted us so that we cannot be healed? We hope for peace, but no good has come for a time of healing, but there is only terror. O Lord, we acknowledge our wickedness and the guilt of our fathers. We have indeed sinned against you. For the sake of your name, do not despise us. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us and do not break it. Do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, O Lord our God. Therefore our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. And if they ask you, where shall we go? Tell them, this is what the Lord says. Those destined for death to death. Those for the sword to the sword. Those for starvation to starvation. Those for captivity to captivity. I will send four kinds of destroyers against them, declares the Lord. The sword to kill and the dogs to drag away and the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will stop to ask how you are? You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding. So I will lay hands on you and destroy you. I can no longer show compassion. I will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the city gates of the land. I will bring bereavement and destruction on my people, for they have not changed their ways. I will make their widows more numerous than the sand of the sea. At midday I will bring a destroyer against the mothers of their young men. Suddenly I will bring down on them anger and terror. The mother of seven will grow faint and breathe her last. Her sun will set while it is still day. She will be disgraced and humiliated. I will put the survivors to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. And then we turn for a brief reading in 
the New Testament, First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. The New Testament looks back to the Christ who has come. And so uh, we want to read from verse 27, page 1152. First Corinthians 11, verse 27. Paul writes to uh, the believers at Corinth, the church there. Speaking about the Lord's Supper and about abuses at the Lord's table. First Corinthians 11, verse 27, page 1152. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord... We are disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Amen. Lord's Day morning we got back to Jeremiah. And you will recall that we were thinking by way of summary to get our minds back into the book of Jeremiah. About a reforming king. About a steadfast prophet. And about a superficial people. Uh, We come this morning then to chapter 14, and here we begin another section, uh, and uh, this is going to run through to chapter 20 and verse 18, or at least that's the way uh, that we're going to look at it, and over three Lord's Days uh, we're going to cover this section of Jeremiah. This morning uh, we will look at the first part from chapter 14 verse 1. Page 772 through to chapter 15 uh, and verse 9. Uh, These chapters uh, probably cover the last years of the reign of Josiah. Remember he was the reforming king. uh, The one uh, who uh, protected Jeremiah uh, as Jeremiah was Uh, The prophet of the Lord calling for a heart reformation. And if uh, it is correct that these are the last years of Josiah and into the reign of Jehoiakim. Then that means that Jeremiah has been a prophet for almost 20 years. In the earlier chapters we saw back in 4 to 6. Jeremiah has warned the people of Judah. The church of his day of the imminent danger of the Lord's judgment. Because of their sin against the Lord. They're turning away uh, to the false uh, gods and worshipping the false gods. Well now by chapter 14 the judgment is underway. Judgment has indeed Arrived, And so this morning the theme uh, of uh, our sermon and the theme of this passage 
is the Lord's devastating judgment. This is the most tragic and pathetic picture that you could see and meet and read of. We've all seen pictures on our television uh, of where there is famine. Uh, and we see emaciated bodies, thin faces, eyes standing out. Uh, and we've also seen scenes um, on our televisions uh, of war-torn nations. And these images are brought together here in Jeremiah chapter 14 and Jeremiah chapter 15. At this stage, it is the judgment of famine that is upon the people. But Jeremiah interweighs with that the judgment that is lurking there in the wings, the judgment of the sword and of captivity. Look, for example, at chapter 14, verse 16, um, where Jeremiah is speaking in the name of the Lord about the false prophet says of the people when these things happen, there will be no one to bury them or their wives, their sons or their daughters. I will pour out on them the calamity they deserve. Verse 18, if I go into the country, I see those slain by the sword. If I go into the city, I see the ravages of famine. Uh, go chapter through to chapter 15 and verse um, Eight, I will make their widows more numerous than the sand of the sea. At midday I will bring a destroyer against the mothers of their young men. Suddenly I will bring down on them anguish and terror. Verse 9, I will put the survivors to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. And the only title that I could think of to sum it up is the Lord's devastating judgment. We're thrust into this scene of judgment right away in verse 1 without build up or without introduction. Judah mourns her city's language they wail for the land and a cry goes up from Jerusalem. In fulfilment of Deuteronomy 28, verse 23, the heavens over their head are as bronze, and the earth under their feet is as iron. There are no clouds in the sky. There is no water in the cisterns. There is no rain. And indeed the Lord... Uh, prophesied and promised as well that in such times there wouldn't even be the refreshment of dew. The land is experiencing a widespread and prolonged drought. Verse 1 actually is in the plural Jeremiah, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. And this drought affects all people. Verse 3 talks about the nobles and the servants, so it's affecting the rich and the poor. We've uh, made a reference there uh, to rural and urban life, and it comes out again in these verses. It's affecting the godly and the wicked. 
It's affecting the young and the old. We see in these verses that affects the very beasts of the field. Verse 5, the doe and the wild donkey are impacted by this event. And as a result, verse 2, Judah mourns. Constant sorrow and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. This is not a freak event. It's not a stroke of bad luck. It is the Lord's judgment. The Lord's judgment in national proportions. From the days of Moses, his covenant people have known that if they break covenant with him, if they desert him for other gods, if they ignore his pleas to come back to him, if they're like a wife leaving her husband for another man, they will provoke the holy jealousy of the Lord. And they will experience the solemn judgment of his covenant in the form of drought and famine. The Lord's devastating judgment. Unless we think that this is an Old Testament concept only. We saw in our call to worship. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul goes on to talk about. If we deny him. He will deny us. If we are faithless. He will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself he will remain faithful to his covenant if we become faithless for God for Christ cannot deny himself who he is that he has saved his people at a great price he loves us with an everlasting love and he has a jealousy for his people For their love, for their obedience, for their worship, for their service. And uh, the scriptures throughout teach us that if we depart from him and turn to the gods of our day uh, for him and try to serve him alongside them. uh, And Christ himself said, you cannot serve two masters. If we try to do that, we are in danger of bringing ourselves under the Lord's judgment. We'll come back to that later. But what is the response of Judah to the Lord's devastating judgment? Well, verses 7 to 9 and verses 19 to 22 record two prayers. Prayed during the period of drought. Who prayed them, we can't be sure. Um, Most uh, or some Bible scholars and teachers take the first prayer to be that of Jeremiah and the second prayer to be that uh, of the people. And there may be some justification for that in that the Lord tells Jeremiah not to pray for the well-being of the people. But they may be Jeremiah's prayers Or they may be the people's prayers or a mixture of both. 
I want us to note the content of the prayers. For they both acknowledge the sins of the Lord's people. Look at verse 7. Our iniquities testify against us. Our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. Verse 20 strikes a similar note. We acknowledge our wickedness, for we have sinned against you. So there is an acknowledgement of sin in these prayers. There is also uh, a request to God to act for his honor and to relieve the situation. Verse 7 and verse 21 speak about for your name's sake. Both prayers emphasize their special relationship with God. Verse 9, we are called by your name. Verse 21, do not break your covenant with us. So here we have a people, or here we have prayers, which make reference to sin, which want the honor of God, and which emphasize the covenant relationship, the special relationship that speaks of salvation from God in the Christ who would come. So what is the Lord's reply? Does the Lord answer? Does the Lord forgive? No, look at Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 6. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding. So I will lay hands on you and destroy you. I can no longer show compassion. Or as it is in the New King James Version, I am weary of relenting. I am weary of relenting. The Lord has, we might say, had enough. Enough of this kind of prayer and it not being followed through then with a reformed and a changed life that honours the Lord when he shows mercy to them. In Jeremiah, in chapter 14, Jeremiah is told that the Lord does not accept their prayers or their sacrifices. Look at verses 10 through to 12. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness. Verse 12, although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. So they are going through the acts of um, worship. They are using the means of grace, prayer, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, all of which point forward to the Christ who would come and now has come. And yet the Lord says, I won't accept their prayers. I won't accept their sacrifices. I won't accept their worship. Indeed, the Lord says, there is worse than drought to come upon this people. Verse 12, the second part of it. I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by disease. And ultimately, the fourth means of destruction is going to be captivity. 
chapter 15 and verse 2. The Lord is not answering. Instead, he is bringing judgment and he's promising further judgment upon them. Notice, by the way, that in this context, chapter 14, verses 13 to 16, there are plenty of people saying, everything's fine. You don't need to get as excited about things as Jeremiah is. You don't need to be as bleak and as dismal uh, and pessimistic in your thoughts as Jeremiah is. There are those, verse 15, um, or the prophets are saying, the uh, Lord says, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. They're prophesying false visions, divinations, idolatries, the delusions of their own minds. They're saying, verse um, 15, no sword or famine will touch this land. And so these prophets, they're not sent by God, they're not called by God, they're not speaking for God, they're not um, representing the reality of God's dealings with his people. They're trying to deny the Lord's judgment. They give the people a false assurance. And we ask, has anything changed Over two and a half thousand years. There are still false prophets today. And instead of bringing men and women in their sin face to face with the reality and the awfulness of God's judgment. If that sin is not repented of and forgiven by Christ. They say to people everything's fine. Keep coming to church. Keep doing your best. Be a good neighbor. And sadly, that's a message that's going forth in churches today. And the Word of God says, let's be under no illusion. They're preaching false visions, the delusions of their own minds. How important it is that Christ stands guard over our minds and our hearts. How frightening it is that you or I could be deluded by our own sin, by our own failure to listen to God or to reflect His words. The scriptures, of course, speak of a coming, final, devastating judgment upon those who do not believe, those who trust in their own works. Those who live according to their own thoughts. And uh, the non-church goer today in the world, isn't that what they do? They live according to their own delusions. Their own understanding of the world. Their own intellect. Their own uh, research. Their own analysis of, um, of life and its events. But the scriptures warn And we who are Christ, we have to honour the Lord in this. We have to speak of a final devastating judgment. In the past, in the days of Noah, there was a devastating judgment across the earth by water. 
The future final devastating judgment is by fire. It will encompass the whole earth, all humanity. Our Savior in Matthew 24, speaking of that day, says that in that day, as in the days of Noah, there will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, without any concern about the final judgment that's coming. Lulled into a sense of security by their own wrong ideas and by the message of false prophets inside the church and those outside the church who see themselves as speaking clearly and powerfully to the world. If you're here this morning and you do not belong to Jesus Christ, if you've not bowed the knee to him and confessed your sin, If you're not living by faith in him day by day, be aware of this final devastating judgment that is going to come upon the earth. That will come upon all who do not believe. And repent now. Seek Christ now. That's what Jeremiah wants this people to do while he may be found. Confess sin now and forsake it now. Don't just go through the motion of words, but make sure that our repentance and our faith rises from the heart, expresses itself in the lips and manifests itself in our lives. But we're dealing here, aren't we? Not with the world. We're dealing in this passage with the church. And so, um, as we come towards the end of our sermon, I want to speak of not just that ultimate judgment from this passage of the ungodly, but of the primary focus of this passage the temporal judgments of God that come upon his church. Because that's what this passage is about. The Catechism talks about and the Confession of Faith talks about the miseries that sin brings. Temporal, spiritual and eternal. And here the people are experiencing a temporal spiritual they're sorry they're experiencing temporal spiritual miseries because of the way in which they treat the Lord who has taken Israel the descendants of Abraham Isaac and Jacob into covenant with himself and they're coming under devastating temporal spiritual judgments And that is not just something that is Old Testament. It is also very clear in the New Testament. Right through from the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. 
who professed faith in Christ, who said they were the Lord's, and then sought to lie to the Holy Spirit, to pretend they were something before God and before men that they were not, and they were instantly um, uh, taken from this world, killed by the Lord. When we go into the book of Corinthians that we read from earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church and he's writing there about the problem of immorality um, in the church amongst the members. And there's almost a confidence in the church about it. We are very modern. We are very up to date. We are with the times. We are broad minded. We can melt, we can, we can blend in with what's happening in society. And Paul speaks into that situation. And he says, the next time the church gathers, and my spirit is present there, as is the spirit of Christ. He talks about the church needing to deal with those that immoral brother. And if that immoral brother will not repent and confess their sin, then there's a need for that one to be delivered over to Satan and taken out of the church membership. For his good and for the good of the church. And what is that? It is a temporal, spiritual judgment of God. Upon that individual. Upon that congregation. Yes, as it is exercised by men in leadership in the church. And so it's a fulfillment of what Christ said to his disciples. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. But then we move on in Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we read earlier. And now Paul is speaking about another problem in the Corinthian church, and it's the abuse of the Lord's Supper. A failure to recognize that this meal is something um, special and sacred and holy, set apart. And it speaks of the relationship of Christ with his people. And um, when men dishonor one another and don't recognize one another as they eat and drink together, then they're dishonoring Christ. And what does Paul say? They're frightening words. He says of the Corinthian church, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Not a few, not one or two. Many are weak. In other words, there is a misery, there is a spiritual misery, there's a temporal misery, there's a judgment that God has sent upon members of the church there. And they're weak. Probably refers to some physical illness because of the next word, and sick among you. And many sleep. 
That's a reference to death. There are those who have, whose lives have been lost within the professing church over this very issue. And so this weakness, this sickness, these deaths, they are the Lord's judgment. A devastating interim judgment upon his church. It's what Peter talks about in his epistle when he talks about judgment beginning with the house of God. And we go right the way forward to the book of Revelation. And there in chapters 2 and 3, the Lord speaks into the life and ministry and worship and witness of seven churches in that day about their sins. And what were those sins? You've left your first love. You have those who commit sexual immorality. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. You are neither hot or cold. And so, as speaking into those situations, Christ, through John, urges the people to repent. Otherwise, he says, the lampstand, the witness of the church, is going to be taken away. The Lord speaks to us, first of all, of our sin. And he urges us to turn from it. But if like Judah in the days of Jeremiah, if like Ananias and Sapphira, if like uh, the man in Corinth, if like these members in Corinthians 11, if like the churches in Revelation, we persist in our sin, we close our ears to the Lord, then the Lord begins not to hear our prayers. And ultimately, he acts in devastating judgment. Not one of the churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, survive for any lengthy period of time. And so, what is the purpose then of this temporal Interim, interim judgment of God, of Christ on the individual, on his church. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. It's like the way we deal with our children. We speak to them. And if our children don't obey, we then take an action of discipline. And in both speaking and in the action of discipline, what are we wanting? We're wanting them to come back. We're wanting them to acknowledge their wrongdoing. And so Paul says, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. The writer to the Hebrews picks up on that as well. Hebrews chapter 12. And he talks about no discipline seems pleasant at the time. We've earthly fathers who discipline us and we honour them for it and we're thankful afterwards. The discipline of the Lord, it's not pleasant when it comes into our lives at the time. But it is for our good. It is for his glory. 
when we are trained by it and produce the fruit of repentance and righteousness in the light of it. And so, what then is it that we should do in response to this passage where we are face to face with the Lord's devastating judgment on his covenant people who become wayward? Well, it's what Paul says, isn't it, in 1 Corinthians 11. Not just with regard to the Lord's Supper, but with regard to our daily lives. Let a man examine himself. Let's ask ourselves this morning, what about my life? What about my family? What about our congregation or your congregation? Are we walking in love, in faith, in obedience, in service to the Christ who gave his all for us? Or are we walking in covenant faithlessness where we're just bumbling along or we're trying to serve Christ and the world? As another prophet said, how long will you halt between two opinions? Or as our Savior said, we cannot serve God and man. You see, God is the God of glorious grace in Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of the gospel. Our sins, though they are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. But he's also the God of awesome or devastating judgment in Christ. To those who do not believe, on the one hand, but also against his own professed people if we do not walk faithfully with him. It's only two ways in which God deals with us. In grace, glorious grace in Christ or in devastating judgment in Christ. Jeremiah epitomizes that glorious grace in Christ as he serves the Lord in his day. And no doubt there are others like him, but widespread within Judah at this time is this devastating judgment amongst the people because they're not walking faithfully with the Lord. If you abide in Christ, what will we do? we will bear much fruit to his glory. Amen. Let's pray. We bless you, almighty God, for your glorious, undeserved grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he who was the Lord of glory the one by whom you made all things, himself became a creature, became a man, taking flesh and bone to himself, being born under the law with all its rigor and demands, 
the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, the judicial law of the nation, and the moral law of God. We thank you that at all points, though he was tested as we are, yet he did not sin. And we thank you that by his death on the cross, he has atoned for the sins of his people, so that the wrath of God is turned away forever from all who believe in him and to abide in him. Lord God, help us this morning to be those who abide in Christ day by day. Help us not to be conformed to this world, the gods of this world that seek to shape society and shape the church. Help us to be transformed day by day by the renewing of our minds in the Scriptures and through the Spirit. Lord God, for any here this morning, whether as an individual, as a family, or as part of the church, that are living or walking faithlessly with you, professing your name, but not honouring your name, rather halting between two opinions, seeking to serve God and mammon. We pray, Lord God, for that enlightening uh, work of the Spirit upon their minds to see today that they cannot do this. Either we are for Christ or we are against him. Lord, spare your church in this day and generation that judgment which we're in danger of coming under because the church is too much like the world and the world is too much in her. Enable us to be in the world but not to be of the world. In Jesus' name, Amen.